So yes, my privilege this morning to uh, step into the third of our guiding principles, which is serve. Um, the lens I'd like you to look at what we're going to do this morning is actually some of the last words that were sung by Cindy and our worship team. And it said this, it said, tell the world of the treasure you've found. So our lens, your lens, my lens, tell the world of the treasure you've found. And so serve. You can see our banner to my left, your right, out of Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. And that's where we'll be starting out this morning. And again, as you walk through our foyer, you can see the amazing work that our uh, incredibly blessed servant Diane does for us. And on the wall in the foyer, it says this, it says, loving God and loving people through serving. But how do we get to that point? And so as I was preparing for the message today, it would have been all too easy to have got sucked into not quite fire and brimstone, but pointing out those ministries that need help, listing them, having a sign-up sheet in the foyer, post the service for you to sign up. But there's actually a starting point before that, and that's where we're going to begin. And so I just want to reflect a minute upon the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So we have, at many times, read through, studied, had preached to us the epistles, the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to those various churches. And so the word ministry is actually better translated service. And we very definitely would have seen that in the life of the Apostle Paul. So he had been called to service as we have all been called to Christ. So in the same response, we too have been called to service. Now, a favorite preacher of mine is a, a man called Alistair Begg. And just a quote, again, to line us up. And he said this, it said, It's not that some are called to Christ, then go on to service, but it is that to be called by Christ is to be called to service. And then he said this, So we don't invite some to be the servants and others to be served, but that all of us are called to be the servants. So we're called to service in love, out of love, through love. Pastor Dave mentioned that through our prayer segment this morning. And that love should overshadow any desire that we may have for rank, for preference, to be the served or to be the server. All of us are called to be servants. And again, reflecting upon the message throughout the week and thinking about service and how our Savior Jesus came to us, where he positioned himself. I've been very fortunate to be in some quite high-profile places when leadership have been talking about structure. So in my working career prior to being a pastor, but also at the various churches that I've pastored at. And so in those moments of looking at structure, human nature is to have a pyramid and to have what I would call the big cheese on the top. I've always been convicted that that triangle should be the other way. It should be flipped on its head. And as we reflect upon the church, 
that's where we should be. That's very definitely where we should have God at the base of our pyramid, the triune God, underpinning everything that we do. And so it's then in those moments that as the pyramid moves out, so we have God, we have Christ, and the various stages leading to things like lead pastor, elders, deacons, local church, global missions, and the world beyond. So God underpinning everything, Christ the cornerstone being our starting point. Matthew 20, 28 says this. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in that moment, you see the positioning of Jesus as he came. And then Matthew 4 talks about when Jesus went around gathering the disciples, taking them from their place of employment, their work, their life. Follow me was the direction given. I will make you fishers of men. So he's basically saying, follow me. I've got a job for you. There's something which I desire for you to be involved in. So Jesus called people to himself. He called them to serve. And as Jesus calls us to himself, equally he's calling us to serve. And so we begin in Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. If you've got your copy of the scripture, it'd be awesome for you to follow along. And uh, I'll read it to you. So it says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity, and with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning, our desire is to be fully present. Lord, we ask that you would take away the things possibly of this week and even this morning as we were coming to be with you, that you would allow us to be present in every way you have created us to be so that we can indeed take on those things that you seek for us to learn, be convicted by and step into as we seek to lead a life that's pleasing and God-honoring of you. Lord, I pray that you would hide me, and in this moment, you would be revealed along with the truth of your word. And we ask this in the precious name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. And so if we look... The word is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so that sense of equip, it's actually being made fit. And so we all know that we have that inner sinful nature. So it's from sin to obedience to be equipped. So there's a definite moving, a process. All saints, all believers in Christ to be equipped to be made fit from sin through to obedience. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, 
for rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then it moves on to talk of the work of the ministry. So that's our spiritual service required of every Christian. Referencing 1 Corinthians 15.58. And it starts off with a very familiar word that we've spoken to many times, which is therefore, telling us that we've been educated, we've seen, we've learned, been convicted by things previously, and now out of that is what comes next. And it says, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor service in the Lord is not in vain. And then we reflect upon build up the body of Christ. So spiritual edification, the lifting up spiritually, Required again for all of us. It's that nurturing, it's that development of the church, of you, of I, of us as a body. And Acts 20 32 speaks to it this way. And it says, And now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Hanging on to his grace. And then unity in faith. And again, many times we've reflected upon that phrase, the unity in faith. Oneness, harmony. But that's only possible when we're built up on a found, sorry, a sound foundation of sound doctrine. The preaching of, standing on and launching from God's word. And then it says the knowledge of God's Son. Trips off the tongue nice and easily. We all know what knowledge is. We all know where knowledge is stored. But again, there's a progression. And without that progression, that knowledge really has no value. And so that knowledge needs to be connected to the heart in order for us to live that out and to truly serve. And so we're talking here about a deep knowledge of Christ that we as believers come to through prayer, faithful study of his word, and out of the obedience of the commands that we receive in and through God's word. So yes, the knowledge of God's son, easily read, connecting the head and the heart and living that out, there's so much to it in order for us to serve and to serve out of love. And I just want to read from Philippians 3, 8 and 10. It says this, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10. 
My goal, our goal, is to know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So like Christ, we are to live a life and to be willing to give our lives to reach a sinful world, to share the gospel, to live out of and love through the grace that God showers upon us each and every day. And then the next phrase is growing in maturity. So growing. So it's not a momentary thing. It's a lifelong journey. A lifelong journey. And then it says, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So under there, I put level of importance measured by Christ's completeness and his perfection. And then I wrote, something for us to aim for. It's a tall order. It will stretch us. There will be times when we get it wrong, and it's in those moments when we are weak that God can work through us in order that we can indeed, through him, be strong. So a stature measured by Christ's fullness. There's our goal. There's our reach. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So all believers, all of us present here, Unveiled faces. So this talks of there's no obstruction of our vision of Christ as revealed in Scripture. And we know that through the birth, life, death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus as he conquered death and sin. The veil was torn and we as followers, as believers are now able to be stepping into the holy of holies and be present, be before our God. So looking in a mirror, it's a reflection of the intimacy in that moment of looking in that mirror, the closeness of it. For many of us, that clarity gets better over life as we journey, as we study, as we become more and more Christ-like. In the time of the Apostle Paul, there weren't mirrors as we know mirrors that gave a very clear, crystal-cut image. It was more a polished piece of metal. And so in a polished piece of metal, we would know that you wouldn't get that clear image. But over time, that polished surface gets better and better and better. And so the image becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And again, that's our journey as we get to see and Christ is revealed to us. But also a reflection upon that image not being fully clear, moving to a point of being clearer, is our journey. 
of us wanting and desiring to become as Christ-like as is possible and that image becoming clearer of who we are in Christ. So my second point, which says, what is our desire to serve driven by? What is it out of and where does it come from? So the first thing we need to seek to serve God is that ourselves are acceptable to him. Because if we come in worship and we ourselves haven't taken a close look at who we are in light of Christ, then our service, our worship is is tainted, it's unacceptable. And God says these things first. He says, give me your heart, but give whatever you want afterwards. So God seeks and desires our heart, then we can give. So in order to give also, we need to first receive. And we often talk about that gift of salvation. And as teaching in kids' ministry, sometime you ask a child, you know, what is it that you need to do to receive a gift? And it simply is to reach out and take a hold of that gift. So we need to receive first. So our first dealing with God cannot be to bring anything to him, but accepting everything of him. And then... Scripture that we all recognize, and it says we love because he first loved us. We are first receivers. We receive grace, and then we return service out of the grace that he showers upon us. So then our second key verse that Pastor Dave very kindly read for us during our prayer segment. So Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Here's that word, therefore. So lots have come, has come before this. So since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So receiving a kingdom that cannot be be shaken. Revelations 21 verses 1 and 2 speaks to this and it says, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. God will create a new heaven and a new earth, a holy city, the new Jerusalem, and that is what we have to look forward to. And then underneath that, let us be thankful. ESV writes it this way, let us offer to God acceptable worship at that point of being thankful. 
And again, worship is, is actually better framed with the word serve. And then it brings out reverence and awe. And Hebrews 4.16 speaks to this part too. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Approach the throne with boldness. Receive mercy, find grace. So we serve a God who through the Holy Spirit enables us to come boldly to the throne, receiving that mercy, receiving that grace through our Savior Jesus. Other ancient rulers and even today there are no thrones that we as regular, ordinary, everyday human beings would be able to approach. And yet, we are able to approach the throne of grace, co-heirs to the throne alongside our Savior Jesus. And then we see the word serve. Again, so that worship, God acceptably with reverence and awe. Here I began to reflect upon who in Scripture really brings that to life for us and really helps us to understand how we position ourselves? And, and for me, it would have been Noah. Noah treated God's message with respect, with awe, and with a faith that he expressed through his obedience. He did exactly as God had commanded him in building the ark. Reverent, respectful, worshipful, that healthy fear, he did exactly as God had commanded him to. And that sense of awe, it's wonderment, it's amazement, it's excitement, just filled with wonder. We are called to such a high, high privilege, and yet we are so unworthy of that privilege. So it's the journey of who we are, where we come from, what we are. Because even though through God's favor, allowing us to serve him, we know that beyond his grace, which actually restrains our sin, we would very quickly slip back into that sinful nature. And so then it says, for our God is a consuming fire. Ordinary everyday reading may be taken out of context. That isn't a too favorable lining of words. But actually reflect upon this. If we think about God is a consuming fire, we think about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, how the prophets brought all that they needed to bring to build their fire on their altar to their gods, calling upon their God and nothing. There was no consuming fire to take those things that they had brought in service of their God. 
Then there's Elijah, and we know three times he was asked to pour water upon the fire, the altar that he had built for his God. And in that moment, upon calling upon his God, having laid out those things of sacrifice and of service, there was a consuming fire. C.H. Spurgeon says it this way. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God in Christ is a consuming fire. And our God means God in covenant with us. So the substitution of Jesus much displays the wrath of God against sin. And then he said this. If we are true and sincere people believing in Jesus and we have brought our humble sacrifice with fear and reverence before God, then it will be accepted for his is a consuming fire and our sacrifice will be accepted and go up to him. Psalm 116, 16 says this, Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. And so in that moment, David is realizing what a special blessing his deliverance is. As we should be thinking about what a blessing our deliverance is, that our bonds have been loosened and that we are, we desire to be servants of a God who loves us in such a way. A bit of a subheading I gave here is our service for Christ is never finished. And I got reflecting upon moments in ministry for me, multiple places, where I've had conversations with people overheard or had people come to me about conversations where people have vocalized these words, I have done my bit. I have done my bit. Newsflash. (laughs) None of us have done our bit. None of us had finished what we should be doing in serving others through the love of our God until the point of us leaving this earth, stepping into glory and serving physically alongside our Savior Jesus. And then to speak of, so know and understand even call upon God's love, his grace and mercy. We seek wisdom, we seek clarity, we seek provision, we seek protection. It's a part of our prayer, we read about it, we study after it. We call upon God for all of those things, for grace, for mercy, for wisdom, for clarity, for provision, for protection. In that moment, God's work is never done. And equally for us in that moment, our work is never done. When we call upon a God who is 
in fact, there for us before we ever need him, his work, as is our work, is never truly done. Luke 17, 7 through 10 says this. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, serve me while I eat and drink, later you can eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Again, a quote from Spurgeon. He said this, Our service may have been long and arduous, we can all relate to that. Our service may change its form. We can all relate to that. Then he said, dear friends, it is not a mercy for us that our service is not ended. Why should it be finished? Our dependence on our master is not ended. And I put, wow, <laughs> like light bulb moment for me. Then he said, and also remember this, it is a blessing thing that our service is not ended because it shows the Lord still has pleasure in his service. There is a prayer put into verse that you and I can constantly offer, and it's this, dismiss me not thy service, Lord. And then he went on to say, then we are not to think that we cannot do any more. Do I speak to any Christian who has come in here this evening? I really think that I must give up this service and give up that. Please do no such thing. Hold on to it as dear as for life. Your engagement to your master is not a five-year service like a soldier, but you are his for life. And then he said this, yours is a lifelong bondage to him. And this really got me, a happy apprenticeship. Apprenticeships are lifelong. You're learning continually, looking to step into being fully fledged. Lord and Master throughout the whole term of our natural and indeed our spiritual life. Do not say that you can do no more. There is much still remaining for you to do. Pick up a new thread, begin to spin, pick up a bit of iron, try to make something out of it that you've never made before, put it into the fire and see whether you can make a new instrument. Give yourself up continually to serve your Lord even more and more and do not think that your work is finished. And then under his statement, I put why. And Matthew 5, 13, 16 speaks to this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Yeah, salt and light. Yes, we are to do good works, but all the glory to God our Father in heaven. Yeah. Point three, last point. Here comes the challenge, if you think you haven't already been challenged. Where is an ideal place and what is an ideal time to serve? Where is an ideal place and what is an ideal time to serve? Now, God is good all the time, all the time. Yesterday morning, men's prayer, we gathered together our typical crew We had a devotional, which was amazing. We had a great time of prayer. And then my good friend and brother, Tom Bustin, faithful servant of God, asked each and every guy who was present if they would stay behind and help. We've had some work done here at the church. There's a new sewage line going in. And because of that, we've had to cut some trees. And they were cut into four-foot lengths. And we were asked if each of us as the men would go out and load the trailer in his truck so that he could take those pieces of lumber and bless somebody else. And in that moment, each and every one of those men on Saturday morning rolled up their sleeves, hadn't come dressed for it. Is there an ideal place? Is there an ideal time? They loaded all of that lumber into the truck. And then my good friend and brother, Bob, said, this is it. And that, Bob was with us last night, faithful man of God. He didn't realize in that moment, I struggled to keep it together in that moment. It was, again, another godly light bulb moment to see those guys do what they did, as simple as it was, embrace that moment in their service to choose to load that lumber but in the process extend that love onto somebody else who would benefit from those few minutes of loading that truck and that trailer. So if we're hanging on to is there an ideal place and is there an ideal time to serve God, there isn't. Quick reflection, when I arrived here in Canada with my family in 2006, We'd come for a very short visit just to scout the area. And then when we flew in to actually stay, my middle son, Chris, as we approached St. John Airport, he looked out the window and he turned to me and he said, Dad, why are we landing in the middle of a field? (laughs) Why are are there trees all around? Why is there a cattle grid in the middle of the runway? And so is there an ideal place? Is there an ideal time? In his mind, he wasn't sure when he thought he was landing in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. But very quickly, New Brunswick, True Life Church, became our home. We were welcomed overwhelmingly 
had six amazing years of ministry and were loved beyond by many of you sitting with us this morning. And then I reflected upon a contrast of another area of ministry when we were in Ontario. So the people that we met with, I was being interviewed for this position. They spoke of really wonderful hot summers, but then they also spoke of cold winters, beautiful riding trails, walking trails and boating and golf and all the stores that you could ever want to choose from. It was an exceptional place to live. They wined and dined, Daphne and myself and Cora, in the best restaurants. They put us up in the best hotels. They arranged for us to hang out, get to know all the ministry, families and staff. At the end of the process, extended an invitation for us to join them as the family pastor. Stepping into ministry, I put here, the wooing was over. (laughs) It wasn't very long before the honeymoon was a fleeting, distant memory. So after two and a half years of ministry, it became apparent that the Lord was closing the door on our time of ministry in Ontario. We always knew in our hearts deep down that we would return to New Brunswick, either semi-retirement or retirement, but the Lord expedited and brought that forward very quickly. We asked a number of people, again, who are with us even this morning, mentors, pastors, to pray with Daphne, with myself, as to what God would have for us next. And thankfully, he chose to plant us back here at True Life Church. Memories of New Brunswick for me prior to returning. New Brunswick is like to us, I wrote this, a paradise. God has made this place for us a paradise with the relationships with the people, with the love that you shower upon us, the opportunities that we get to serve and minister together, our needs being met incredibly beyond our wildest dreams. But I don't consider any of this of myself. It's God's work. He uses a variety of people. And there is no ideal time or place to serve. Now you could be thinking one of these three things. You could be thinking about leaving home maybe because your marriage isn't ideal. You could be thinking of leaving your current employment because your boss isn't ideal. You could even be thinking about leaving True Life Church because for you our church isn't ideal. But there is an ideal time. There is. There is an ideal place. There is. And it's now. It is now. Where God has set me, where God has set you down, is that ideal place. 
and is that ideal time. So let us serve our Lord with fear, not with terror, and let us serve all our days Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for God is a consuming fire. And to leave you with this. This is a song that we sing fairly regularly. We sing it, but do we mean it? And so listen to these words. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing, I will serve of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You've led me through the fire. In the darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And all I have lived in the goodness of God. And then it speaks of because your goodness is running after me. It's running after me with my life laid down. I surrender now. I give you everything. Last scripture reference, Isaiah 6, 8, as we close. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Here we are, send us.